sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today. I'm Craig Mish. He's Joe Pizzapia. This is our show here on Sports Grid. You can follow us on Twitter at Sports Grid. Follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizzapia17. We got plenty to get to here on our show today. A little bit later, we dive into the state of the New York Mets with Tim Healy, who covers them for Newsday. Also, fantasy football discussion from abroad with Murph, who joins Joe here on the show in just a few minutes. And Joe, we got a lot of baseball to get to here with opening day a little bit over a week away. We do. I'm very excited. I'm even more excited to have Healy on the show because, oh my goodness, bids on the New York Mets. Could it be so? We're getting baseball back and maybe new ownership for my team at the same time. This is incredible. Things are happening here. And I feel like everything is going to basically come on the heels of each other. We could have baseball back next week, it looks like. We might have NBA, Mm -hmm. NHL. The dominoes are all starting to fall, Craig Mish. And I I feel like I'm getting excited. I want to stay excited about all of this. And uh, hopefully any of the negative news we do at the top will not stop any of the excitement I have about getting our sports back here on Sports Grid. Because right now, without the sports, we're just grid. And it's weird sometimes to not have the sports. It's only been four months. It's not a big deal. <laughs> it's only, it's only a we can do it four more years. This is the third just, of the year. What's just keep doing uh, my, my uh, sports credentials and, and <laughs> baseball cards for the next five years. Listen, I, if there's two things I know we were not going to run out of on this show, it's Craig Mish's credentials. And we're not going to run out of baseball cards and things that he's been purchasing, which, by the way, we keep getting promised. I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to host a lot more shows with all the, the money that I've spent on cards. During I just want one segment. Really Can a brother get one segment, please, for the love of God, about the rest of these cards? You've been teasing them for like a month. Or I know. I, I, did back. Get, I did get some tens. I, I know, but I don't see any of the tens. I want to get my eyes on some tens here on Fantasy yeah, Sports today. I got some really good ones too. Uh, well, uh, yeah, it says you. It says you. We it still is. don't have them on the I show. I actually did really well. I was very, uh, I was very pleased. Well, with tomorrow, can we talk about them? I mean, can we at least get to that? I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, yeah I mean, we're definitely not going to do next some cards. Got to get it out of the way. Yeah, tomorrow, hump day. We're doing All baseball right. cards. Right, Put we'll it in the sheets. All right. Okay, so let's go uh, through some of the news and notes for baseball. And this, they're calling it still Spring Training 2.0, so we may as well call it Spring Training 2.0. It tends to be more of summer camp, but here we go. Uh, Astros place Jordan Alvarez on the 10-day injured list. This is uh, very big news because clearly it looks like he's going to miss time at the beginning of the season for Houston. And I would guess Kyle Tucker, uh, although they never do play Kyle Tucker, uh, he, would be the next, <laughs> he would be the next man up. Houston's got some other options. Also, Jose Urquidy, who uh, was supposed to be the Astros' fourth or fifth starter, he was placed on the 10-day IL, and he's somebody that I do have in a fantasy league. This could be the biggest hit I've actually had in a fantasy league because I I think I was counting on him as, like, my third fantasy starter or fourth fantasy starter, so I'll have to pivot there. Uh, Good news, Dodgers have Kenley Jansen back in camp after a short absence, so any notion that we would be throwing around trying it in the ninth inning, which we were doing last week, we do not have to do today, so that's gone. And honestly, the best of all news is Charlie Blackman being back with the Rockies. And you may say, well, why is this the best? I feel like he was a scapegoat at the beginning. Like, he was the first name. He was the first guy. Throughout that had COVID, and we were, like, freaking out about it. And but that was only two weeks ago, just for perspective for everybody. But, but think about that, though. I, I think that that's what you just said there mm-hmm. is something that we now have to follow for this. Because from the time that they reported this with Blackman, mm-hmm. it was two weeks so I think that right now, anyone that is positive or reporting positive, we can pretty much assume is missing opening day in the first week of the season. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's fair. And and now we can start timelining even Freddie Freeman at this point. You would guess that, okay, Freddie Freeman is out for opening day, but if it's a two-week thing, he could be back in week two or week three. So from a, a positive standpoint, yeah. that changes. I think we, because Blackman was the earliest and the first. Right. And so now I'm sort of taking his timeline with everybody. And, and it, maybe that's not fair because everybody has different levels of it. Right. But that's a really good example of maybe we are uh, panicking a little bit too much because here we are, Charlie Blackman, provided nothing else happens, going to be in the opening day lineup for the Rockies. Yeah. And I think you hit it spot on, too. Like the names you're hearing now just testing 
those are the ones you really got to start to make adjustments for in your fantasy leagues. You got to bump Alvarez out a little bit, which is unfortunate. Now, here's the one thing. Let's take them one at a time. Your Quidi is more concerning to me than Alvarez for two reasons. Number one, as a pitcher, if he's missing time, then it's going to take him more time to ramp back up in order to go out there for even five innings. So that's more concerning to me than Alvarez. Just, again, not knowing them individually, not knowing how they're reacting to what's going on, just taking them in a vacuum based on their positions. Whereas Alvarez, on the other side of it, if he is back in two weeks, let's say, he's a guy that's only a DH. He's not playing the field anyway. Also, this is a guy that can give you enormous statistics in a short period of time anyway. So I wouldn't devalue him too much, whereas your Quidi, I would actually devalue a, a fair amount based on the fact of the two weeks and then ramping back up. So that two weeks could turn into three weeks before you actually sure. see him taking the ball again, whereas Alvarez is a dude that – Hey, you're going to give me 40 games of Alvarez? It's probably going to be better than 80% of the rest of the guys, potentially from a power perspective at the very least. So that's kind of the individual uh, evaluations I have. I'm curious if you have any different takes on it, but I think that, that feels about right. Any pitcher that hasn't been with a team and, and is not pitching right now and is on the injured list, I think that that is, that is definitely fair to uh, say. Uh, also opting out yesterday was Jordan Hicks for the St. Louis Cardinals, and I don't think that he would have pitched much this year. He also, uh, something I didn't know, he has type uh, 1 diabetes, so that does make sense that with Absolutely. that combined with Tommy John surgery, uh, Hicks is is better off <laughs> – Sitting yeah. out. Uh, Hicks should absolutely sure. sit out this yeah. year, without a doubt. We wish him all the best too, and a, yeah. and a recovery from Tommy John as well. There's no reason yeah. to push right now. And, and Lord is Guriel of, of the Jays back in camp after yesterday. We were mentioning that he, he heard us. In, in camp, I so. saw that, and I he said, just got healthy right away. Yeah, he's like, oh, Craig Mish and Joe Pizzapia talking about me. I better get well. I better figure it out because they we talked about all the other Blue Jays, and we had a big long discussion yesterday about Lord is Guriel. Next day, boom, he's, he's back. back. That's the kind of power we wield here on the program on Fantasy Sports Today. Who's next? That's what we do. Uh, <laughs> that, that's kind of it for the baseball because we the biggest real story of yesterday was actually out of the NBA where one of the best players in the league, Russell Westbrook, on his own Twitter, I think it was tw- – I, I saw it on Twitter. I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter, but I think well, it was Well, you didn't see it on Instagram, so I think we've already established I, that. Yeah, I, well, some people you can post Instagram and it says send it to Twitter, I think. But, but in this, I, I think it was a tweet. But either way, uh, Westbrook uh, tested positive before he went to Orlando to join the bubble league. And this is a, a monster issue for Houston if he is not with them. Now, let's also be clear on this. The eight games that they're going to begin on the 31st is essentially warm-up time. Uh, we we know this, Joe. For it's an extra the, week. He just there's, there's, fi- there's 15 teams right now that could care less about mm-hmm. these eight games. more. I mean, honestly, you, there's, you can't even start thinking about, oh, who we would like to play in the playoffs. Like, I mean, that's not even in the equation this year. It's like, let's get, just get, get our legs help for us right. yeah. for these eight games and go. It's different for some of the other teams, like the Nets and the Wizards and the Magic. I, I get that. For those teams, it is important. Houston is not necessarily as important, but if we're starting to bleed into the playoffs – that Houston is not winning without Westbrook. I don't, I take it back. They can win. They've won without Westbrook in the past because they have Harden. But they're not winning any championships without Westbrook, I don't think. And so of all of the players and all of the names, Joe, we have we have talked about people who've had COVID, and it's been Tom Hanks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's been Freddie Freeman in baseball, right? It's been Novak Djokovic. This Westbrook is on that short list of sure. mega – players and athletes and stars of being there. So this is this is one that, for sports grid reasons and for betting reasons, everybody has to watch too. Can't take everybody in the same fashion because it's going to affect everybody differently. And and look, basketball is a very different game from a, from a breathing standpoint, from a, a wind standpoint. And COVID is something that does affect your lungs and can affect your breathing quite a bit. And I don't know what that's like for a guy who's running as much as Russell Westbrook is running in games. It's very different than Jose Urquidy who's standing there on the mound. I'm not saying it doesn't take a lot of stamina to pitch. It does. It's a very different kind of stamina, or, or Jordan Alvarez, for that matter. So I think we have to all kind of sit and, and continue to take these one at a time. But I do think on the good side and the plus side before lines start getting adjusted and all this other stuff might potentially be in the mix, that you just take a deep breath and realize there is that eight-game buffer there to start the season. And you're right. I think everyone's just trying to get – to the season, get to the playoffs, and then take it from there. I don't think seeding is in anybody's mind right now. I think health no. is the only thing. 
I think so for sure too. Uh, and, and finally, we close it out. Would you like? Would you like to bid farewell to the Redskins? This is it. It's it's obvious that this is the end of the line for the team name. Although you wouldn't know it by the press release that they put out there, where they mentioned Redskins and put it on Redskins letterhead, saying goodbye to the Redskins. A very bizarre parting of the of the name Redskins, mm. almost as if to say we don't want to do it, but we're going to do it, which well, is crazy. Yeah, I know, but I, I mean, look, it's 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 time. Overdue. To, it's but, overdue. But, but here is the issue: some dude bought all of the names online all the websites all of the naming rights to this and that's why the redskins are having an issue because <laughs> all the names that we came up with they're all purchased even Everything mine even the one the dc justice that's a great name justice man there monuments was there sentinels was there i saw the list it was like a long list and somebody paid like 10 bucks a piece for the patent and that's awesome and, and now he's gonna, gonna, gonna have to, they're gonna have to buy it from him. why don't what or we gotta go we got to run right now for all the ones for the Cleveland Indians. We got to go, whatever those are like, we need to do this right now. You and me, shh, don't tell anybody, okay? You and me are going to get in on this. We'll split it, $5, $5, or you pay seven, I pay three, whatever. And we'll go in, we'll make it all work out. It's going to be great. But, I, you know, it's such a crazy world we live in these things happen. And, yeah, I mean, this person who ever <laughs> got these domains is probably going to get paid something yeah, somehow. Yeah, because... trademarks to the, the, the one that I saw that I remember that I think that I had. I don't remember where you did. I don't remember what it was. The Sentinels. That was the one. Sentinels, that was on there. That was the one from the uh, from the movie. From the and replacement. the Monuments. That was purchased by somebody. See, I hate the Monuments. That's that's a, The Justice sounds cool. Like, they're going to bring the hand of justice, you know, down. You could even, I mean, that, that sounds cool, man. The monuments. You don't like the red tails? I don't mind the red tails. The red tails was okay. That's I don't like one that's percolating around. See, the bit. problem is I like the sentiment more than I like the name, and I think that's fair. Maybe they I, should be the Washington sentiments. God. The problem is there's already the Patriots. There's already this red, white, and blue organization out there in the NFL. And, you know, I think it's tough there because when you think it's, it's America, it's all these things, right? But... You know, Washington, you know, you want to be patriotic, but at the same time, it's already kind of one of these teams doing that old red, white, blue patriotic thing. It's a little tough. Yeah, it is. All right. So we got a lot to cover here today. So hopefully you guys can stay with us for the entire two-hour show. If you're watching on demand on YouTube, you can just hit rewind and forward. Uh, bottom line, we're here for you every day, Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. We'll have an announcement on Friday about our show starting the baseball season next week. We're going to be moving a little bit in terms of our time, but you'll still be able to catch us on demand the same exact place over at sportsgrid.com over on YouTube. And all you really have to do is subscribe to our YouTube channel and turn your notifications to on in addition to liking and subscribing our show. And then this way, when our show is over and we post it online, it gets sent right to your phone or your iPad or Android, however you watch your videos. Coming up next, it's time for this day in fantasy sports and our fantasy sports birthdays. That's here on Fantasy Sports Today after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. It's time for this day in fantasy sports for the 14th of July, 2020. Great to have you aboard here on the show. We'll dive into it. Lots of birthdays today, some extended fantasy and reality birthdays and uh, a pivotal moment in the NBA in terms of history. And so we'll dive into it all today, Joe. Absolutely. It's uh, another day, another set of this day in fantasy sports. You know, sports are coming back. And I got to tell you, you know, when they do, I kind of want to keep this segment. I know you don't. I, 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 know. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I, I've thought about it. And, and I think that for the first week it comes back, maybe. But then I'm hoping that like every other sports show in America. We just have so much going on at once that there's no time for it. So, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take it day by day. Look, it's, it's been four months of this. I know. And, I know. and uh, part of me will miss, will miss doing it, reviewing this day in history. I know a lot of other shows are actually doing it too. I wonder if they're watching this one and then uh, clearly they ripped it off you. I, I mean, mean a lot of other shows are doing this exact same thing, but I know that from the beginning we were, and I've been hesitant to stop it because I, I'm waiting for sports to come back, and and I know next week baseball starts, and then the following week the NBA starts, and the following week after that hockey starts, <laughs> and then I think football may start. I'm not sure, but I assume so. And so by that time, um, 
you know, like I think we, we are going to go zero to a hundred. You're not wrong there. I mean, it does feel like the next three weeks you're going to go from nothing to, Oh my I God. I feel like this do? is it. Like, I feel like this is the final two All weeks right. of, of, of the four month off I, of sports. I I've think. got it. The so. weekend edition. We do the whole, the week in fantasy sports that was, and then the fantasy sports and, birthdays. And, spe- and speaking of which, for those of you who watch our weekend edition every single week to let you know that this will be our final weekend edition of the show oh. uh, this weekend, because uh, starting next, Next week, because of sports being back, uh, you know, there's no point of us being on a weekend show when we're recording it for you guys. So uh, which which full transparency on Saturdays, the show was recorded on Friday night. So uh, for this, <laughs> this is this is it for 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 those of you. But listen, we'll still be here with you guys every single week, Monday through Friday, for sure. All right. How we got on this? I don't know. But let's get let's get back to where we were supposed to be. And we'll start off this day in fantasy sports history for the 14th of July, 1968. Hank Aaron hits his 500th home run. He went on, of course, to hit 755 home runs. 1987, the MLB Rookie of the Year was renamed to the Jackie Robinson Rookie of the Year. For those people who still just call it Rookie of the Year, you can. But, you know, Jackie Robinson is associated with that one. 2004, this was a monumental day in South Florida sports history. Uh, not quite as big as winning the championship, but it did come close. I have to tell you, I was there for all of this and covering all of this. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal uh, traded by the Lakers after winning multiple titles with he and Kobe Bryant to the Miami Heat. The Lakers, in return, get back Lamar Odom. They get back Karan Butler. Uh, a couple other players, too, were involved in the deal, but those were the primary players. The Heat is coming off having Dwayne Wade and coming off a, a sick playoff run with Odom and Butler, mm-hmm. and it looks like this young team is going to take over the East, and they just, Joe, completely pivot off that. And it's always Pat Riley playing for right now. He saw an opportunity to get Shaq. Uh, Joe, they make this trade. The next day, they have a parade outside <laughs> the arena for the trade. And it's Shaq on a uh, on a fire hydrant, a, a you know, fire whatever it is. Uh, Truck? Yeah, I don't think he's on a fire hydrant. That seems incredibly uncomfortable. I'm just saying. And and he's spraying water in the crowd. <laughs> I mean, it it was a scene out of like a parade, and it was like we got Shaq type of thing. And then the, he did it again for LeBron. But but either way, this was really a a changing moment, and it can be for any franchise, Joe. I mean, you think about it. Look, the Heat is no different than some of these other franchises. The Raptors had their moment when they won the championship. That changed them around, and it put them on the map. And this, and even though the Heat did have a lot of good playoff runs, it's true, and they had those playoff runs against the Knicks, Shaquille O'Neal is a top five all-time popular player in the NBA. There's no, mm-hmm. and maybe even higher. There's no, there's no uh, denying that. When this happened, it was bedlam here. I remember it well. Well, look, there's very few players you could say that can come in and just completely change an organization. And Shaquille O'Neal is definitely one of those kind of guys. I mean, the size of that guy, the athleticism of that guy, the way he dominated on both ends of the court at times. Yeah, the free throws. We can always make the comments about that. But at the end of the day, there was only one Shaquille O'Neal. And there might never be another one, too. It doesn't seem like we're going in that direction in the NBA uh, at this point in time. And uh, I think you should throw a parade when you get Shaquille O'Neal. I'd be excited. And he's kind of the life of the party, too, when he you was. think about that. Like, he he enjoys that. Like And he some does. guys— and there's a lot of superstars that don't like that kind of attention that uh, Shaquille O'Neal is one of these guys that thrived on it always that I feel like the better, you know, the, the more he got, the more people talked about him, the more the spotlight shone brightly on him, the better he played. And I think that's a, it's a lovely quality because I love the entertainment aspect of sports and Shaquille O'Neal always brought that for sure. And this was a seismic moment in terms of a shift in the NBA at the time and sort of the power structure of the league. And every now and then we do get one of those. We've had yeah. it in a couple of years as well. Yeah, and, and and two years in, the Heat wins a championship yeah. with Shaq. Uh, first year they did not. He was unbelievable the first year with the Heat. The second year he was still awesome and he was still an all-star, mm-hmm. but it was really Dwayne Wade that elevated and took his game to the next level. Then the Heat got one more good year out of Shaq. And then, unfortunately, like Orlando and like L.A., he sort of forced his hand um, – you know, out of Miami too. And that was uh, the end of the story. They sent him to the Phoenix Suns. He was still pretty good with them as well, but that was the end of the the run with the Heat. Uh, 2019, Novak Djokovic wins Wimbledon over Roger Federer in a record for Wimbledon. This was last year. Four hours, 57 minutes. They say baseball is long. Okay, sure. 
Uh, how about sitting through two guys playing tennis for four hours and 57 minutes? I mean, I, I, I get it. Like, it's a very exciting back and sure. forth. But, you know, it could stop at four hours, you know. You it know? could. It could. I imagine my neck would hurt at a certain point uh, of going back and forth after the four hours. I mean, you kind of need a break. At some point, you just got to let your eyes move, right? You can't even move the neck anymore. Uh, but, yeah, look, I, I remember a lot of the, you know, overtime matches and tennis and things that you get where it just keeps going and going and going back and forth and who's got advantage. And, and, and it can be thrilling at times, without a doubt. But then I think then it crosses a certain point where it's tiresome, uh, like a lot of sports, you know. It's just like, okay, it's great. I love the drama. But at a certain point, it's like, all right, that's enough. The only thing that I can never get enough of, overtime playoff hockey. You can play 12,000 overtimes in hockey, and I am riveted because it's that one single moment you're constantly waiting for. And there's something about that that's absolutely magical. You know, before we move on to the birthdays, I just wanted to, you know, have a little fun here with the Henry Aaron stuff at the top. How many times did Henry Aaron lead the league in home runs? For a guy that hit a ton of home runs and the all-time leader at one point, do you know how many times Henry Aaron actually led the league in home runs? Not a lot. Not a lot. Maybe one? Three times. Three times. Which is an incredible thing to think that. No, it is. It is. And, and, you know, a guy that never hit more than 47 in a season but hit 40 and 35, you know, in that range – so many times it was so good. 23 years the guy played, and probably you look back at the seasons, about 17 or 16 of them were elite-level seasons. This was just one of these guys that just kept going out there and kept doing it and kept doing it, and he was always so good. And, you know, we talk about greatest living ball players. Why does Henry Harrod not come into that conversation more? Oh, I, I mean, think I guess, he is. Oh, no, I think he is for sure. Yeah, I always feel like everybody just goes right to Willie Mays, and Willie was, look— Willie was a lot more. You well, know, they showy. go to Willie Mays ahead of him, but but right. Aaron is among the living players that are out there. Aaron is I have always in that conversation. I well, I'm glad that you're keeping that conversation alive because that's one. And also, he still uh, leads in RBIs, 2,297. Yeah. That's a pretty yeah. good number right there. <laughs> All right, let's get to the birthdays for today. We start off in 1947. A broadcaster right now for the Chicago White Sox, and for those of you who forgot, the Chicago Cubs, and for those of you who even forgot, a Cy Young award winner in mm-hmm. Steve Young, uh, Steve Stone, excuse me. He's, Steve he's Stone. young, though, still at heart. He, he, Steve Young was a quarterback. That's okay. Stone is a pitcher. 1967, Robin Ventura, former great player also with the White Sox, former great college baseball player as well, and then went on to manage the White Sox as well. Eric Dampier, unbelievable college player in the SEC at Mississippi State, pretty good NBA player as well, born in 1974. Tim Hudson, a great pitcher with the A's and the Atlanta Braves after that, born in 1975. 1985, one of the great uh, defensive backs, really, of the last 20 years, Darrell Rivas, who mm-hmm. I believe deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He's not oh, in sure. the Hall of Fame. I don't think he is yet, but I think that he will be eventually. 1988, Conor McGregor, great MMA fighter. And then 1994, Lucas Giolito, who is slated to pitch in the White Sox rotation when they get started next week. So that is a big birthday list for today. And yeah. some pretty fun names, too. It's a good one. Finally, we got a good one here. I know some days you're kind of uh, ho-humming and you're not too happy about these Yeah, names. no, this is, this is a this solid is list right, and an eclectic man. list. A lot of different yes. Of players. Yes, we've hit a lot of sports and a lot of age groups. And uh, uh, we'll go back to Robin Ventura for a moment, if I may. I was a big, big Robin Ventura mark, man. i just a big fan of his. A uh, fantastic defensive player. Just made every play look so easy. A big-time clutch hitter, too. I have very fond memories of the walk-off grand single as a Mets fan when he hit that home run and Todd Pratt picked him up and didn't let him basically continue to run around the bases. I've never seen that before in baseball. Where they just did not let me. Have you ever seen that in professional baseball? Where the no, guy I don't even go, remember that happening. That's cool. Yeah, he hit that he grand single. He was a big single. grand slam guy, Ventura. I want to say it was the 99 playoffs. Brett will probably correct me if I'm wrong. This was, uh, you know, right around that time there. Now he's a big Mets uh, fan like myself, unfortunately for us. But uh, that moment of, you know, Todd Pratt going up there and just stopping him from running from first to second, and that was it. And then it was like, well, I, well, I guess the game's over. I guess he's not going to touch home plate there. Uh, but some other really good names on this list, Tim Hudson, a, a terrific career. You know, if Tim Hudson had had that great second life in his career, like some pitchers tend to get, I think he might have been in that Hall of Fame conversation. But unfortunately, we were going over him a few weeks ago here in the program, and he did fall a little short. Yeah, You know, that's that second bump. It's that other... You know, what do you do in your mid-30s, kind of? Do you have that one or two good seasons or even three seasons there where you're just helping some teams win or you find a, a really good diamond in the rough season with that guy? Hudson just didn't have that, unfortunately, and that's kind of be the difference of him making the Hall of Fame and not. And then, of course, Lucas Giolito, who I'm super excited about this year. To me, Giolito is a fantasy ace right now that you're getting for basically number two money. 
And um, I think for folks out there to realize that in this season with that lineup, I think Lucas Giolito has a real shot to win eight games or somewhere around that range. And I think he's going to be a huge fantasy asset going forward. And it's great to see because a few years ago, we were a little concerned after that trade to the Nationals, uh, from the Nationals to the White Sox for Adam Eaton. Well, is this guy going to work out? Is it going to happen? It took a little longer, but there's an exercise in patience finally paying off with Lucas Giolito. How about you? Any any names on here? Any fond memories or not so fond ones? Uh, yeah, I mean, a couple of them for sure. Uh, Steve Stone's a very eclectic type guy. Um, yes. He's uh, he's very good on social media, but also very different. Some people say he's very friendly. Other people say you can't talk to him. Um, he's one of those guys that I've waited, Joe, for the White Sox to come to South Florida that I can interact with because I, I get those one-on-ones all the time with the broadcasters. And Whenever like a legendary type broadcaster comes, I make sure that I am there one of the nights just to meet the person because I know that look, I am I've always been one to make sure that I they capture those memories of the great players, and he is one that I've always wanted to talk to because I know he's got a you know strange opinion on a lot of different things. So uh, he is one for sure. And uh, and look, Conor McGregor, when it's all said and done, is going to go down as probably the greatest or one of the greatest MMA fighters of all time. And will go down as the one for sure that you put his name on something and people will pay for it. And that's a rare commodity to have in sports. But McGregor was always that guy, whether it was $100, $50, or whatever the price was to watch him fight, people would do it. Uh, coming up next year on the show, we dive into the latest in baseball. So don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. This is SportsGrid. A day in the life of baseball. Pretty soon it'll be a day in the life at the ballpark as baseball comes back. I'm looking forward to covering the Miami Marlins. I'm going to have to wait a little bit as they open up on the road at the Philadelphia Phillies and they come home taking on the Baltimore Orioles for opening day uh, here in South Florida. So looking forward to that. Uh, but as the world turns, we get, as you as we probably, if you've been watching the show for the full hour, the good news and the bad news, we cover it all. And honestly, Joe, it's all bad news in terms of people who can track COVID-19. I will say that. But with the bad news does create opportunity for other players, which is not something that you ever want to see happen because of something negative. But it does give us a chance to at least have awareness of other players and start to I would say dig a little bit deeper to see if there's any fantasy value of players who could potentially be getting playing time while a player is out. Yeah, that's exactly right. Look, we're trying to be, uh, you know, providing information here on the program. We obviously want everyone to be healthy, but we're also basically have a responsibility here to our watchers and listeners to make sure that they are armed properly for all of their fantasy leagues, whether they be daily or whether they be season long, that you make sure you know the names that might have at least an early opportunity at some extra at-bats because in a season where the margins are going to be razor thin, every at bat I feel like is going to count in 60 yeah. games, Craig. Like you really, you know, it's not hyperbole to say that you need to really hyper focus on and almost play like daily transaction mentality when you're hitting that fab. Because I think you've got to find the guys in the free agent wire that are going to get you at bats, even if you get a week of at bats for a guy. That's important. And to the to the other extent too, maybe in the past where you were more patient with injuries. Maybe you're less patient here with injuries as well. Maybe you say, oh, man, this guy's coming back in the middle of the week. Uh, I'll start him and then, you know, hopefully by the rest of the week. No, I don't think you can do that. I think you have to start a player who's going to play five or six games, not a guy that might come back for three or even potentially four in those weekly lineup settings. So there is so many little tiny details and minutiae involved in if you want to be successful in a 60 game season, doesn't matter if it's Roto, doesn't matter if we are talking about head to head categories or head to head points. Right now, it is all like a razor's thin margin of error. And I think we have to basically be prepared at the very least for some of these names in the beginning of the season to take over and be useful. Yeah, well, the Twins are one of those clubs that have no shortage of offensive options, and they may need <laughs> another one, as Miguel Sano uh, is on the verge of, of missing the beginning of the season. 
testing positive for COVID. Although, uh, you know, again, the, you know, they don't say specifically what's going on with each player. And and look, Sano is coming off a season, Joe, where he he finally starting to show that promise offensively and of what he is. Unfortunately, he's not really a defensive player at this stage of his career. Uh, but neither is Willens Astadio, who <laughs> who you see here and and really has a chance now, I think, to enhance his playing time in the first couple of weeks. But the Twins could go with a number of different options. You know, there's another player that they have that I know that you know some teams are interested in. I think teams are still interested in Jake Cave. I don't think that he's a great offensive player, but he he's the kind of player that maybe on you know on the Giants as an example, he's like an everyday player, and so. <laughs> He hasn't. Had, uh, I might get some everyday at bats in the Giants right yeah, now. Yeah, I mean, he he could be a player that that starts to play a little bit more. Buxton's health is always you know up in the air, depending on you know if he's going to dive and get hurt or something like that. But I got Astadio as as one of the names potentially to take yeah. a spot of Sano. I think Sano at this stage, look, you know, third base is out. They're playing Donaldson there, right? So it's just a matter of how much first he plays, and and if he doesn't, I mean, there's really not another spot for him because of uh, Cruz playing DH. So, uh, you know, what, what do you think happens here, Joe? Who plays first base for them? Uh, you know, this is this is difficult. I, I think you want to keep Cruz in that DH spot because that's where he is, you know, most comfortable. I don't think you he plays the field at all, Cruz. I, no, he really doesn't. So, I mean, you're not you're not going to muck with that. So you're looking at, I think Estadio is a good name here. And, you know, what's fun about Estadio is he puts the ball in play. What's not so fun is you imagine, like, sometimes the bigger guys, you figure, oh, they're going to hit for power. This guy has like a 419 slugging percentage over 10 minor league seasons. So that's not a guy you're looking for for big time pop, but he will have contact over those same 10 years. He did it 311 in the minor leagues and he's a 10 year minor league or two, which tells you a lot about him, which, you know, obviously when you get to the big leagues at 26, 27 instead of 23, 24 nowadays, it's not always about being blocked. It, usually there's some other hole in that game. And, and I think in Asadio's case, it's a it's a lack of power. And that's not a knock on the guy. It's just the truth of the guy. And I think that's okay to embrace that. So Asadio can be a guy that I believe would be serviceable for, let's say, a week or two of the season if he had to get regular at-bats. And if they're going to circle through that. But it's funny, as you're having this discussion here about the Minnesota Twins, and you mentioned Buxton and Sano, I can't help but sit here and think about, think about the identity of the Twins, right? They were supposed to be, Sano was this can't-miss, number-one prospect, franchise player. Buxton was right there with him. And the guys that really carried the Twins over the last few years are Eddie Rosario, who I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Uh, Nelson yeah. Cruz, who was a free agent acquisition. Max Kepler, who was a player that I don't think a lot yeah, of people saw coming. from last year. And, yeah. and yet they've still got an incredible pipeline of the Kirilovs and Trevor Larnix of the world as well. So maybe it's a matter of calling one of those guys up. Maybe they can play a little first base too. I don't know if they want to do that yet. But those are some real – look, this organization has an incredible depth. It's just kind of funny to me that this peak level of Minnesota Twins baseball we've gotten the last couple of years offensively has for the most part been in spite of Buxton, in spite of Sano. They've been a team that's able to keep it going, and the scouting department's done a really good job of bringing in guys to this organization. And even Jorge Polanco has been another guy. He's been an yeah. integral part to this team. And I guess at this point, whenever I hear Miguel Sano's name, I just get frustrated. I know he had Tommy John surgery. I know that set him back a year. I understand Buxton also had a bunch of injuries. But this Minnesota team, now that you've added Donaldson to – it doesn't matter what you get out of Sano, in my opinion. Like at this point, they're so focused on we got Donaldson, we got uh, we got Cruz, we've got Kepler, we've got a really good core. Sano's just like filler at this point, which is shocking because if you told me he was going to be a filler player and the Twins were going to be really good four years ago, I would say how. Yeah, Mitch Garver too. I mean, that's that's Mitch another, Garver, another guy came yeah, out of he's, nowhere. He's been great, and then Arias, who came up last year and um, and played great defense and offense for them too. He could play anywhere on the field as well. So look, the Twins are there. Uh, you know, Marwin Gonzalez. People forget about him. He's on the Twins too. They're, you know they're... That's another guy. You know what? Maybe that's the guy that we're we're failing to look at here because Marwin he Gonzalez plays first base. Yeah. You know, he is that jack of all trades. He can play every infield position. He can play outfield. He can do it all. Marwin Gonzalez might he gets be the playing name. time anyway. Though it's like I, I know that he's going to still get playing time no matter what he yeah but does. you know what maybe you lock it in with donaldson at third him at first you arise at second and uh, you play out shortstop with polanco and that's your infield i think i think marwin over Estadio might even be the better investment now that we're talking it out so if you're going to spend fab there i maybe i would go like five bucks for for marwin gonzalez and if he's not owned already in that league and maybe i would do three on Estadio just in case you don't get him yep all right, moving over to the Diamondbacks. Boy, they were super excited to get uh, Cole Calhoun in the offseason, and hopefully they'll get him on the field. 
because I know that that the Diamondbacks are another team that's poised to win right now. Everyone can say that they're going to win right now, but the Diamondbacks really can. And uh, Calhoun is coming off another good year with the Angels, eventually decided, hey, look, it's time to cash in on a contract, got paid a lot of money, and he'll move to Arizona. He'll play the outfield with them. And, and look, there still could be a safe assumption that he does play at some point this season. But look, I mean, we're a week away here. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, this is not like, you know, July 1st anymore. It's it's getting close. And so, look, there's there's a lot of options that they have in the outfield. Rojas is the name that I have here. That is one of them. He's not a sexy name, but he can play outfield. He can play all the defensive positions. I mean, does Cattell Marte go back to the outfield? Mm. That that's that's an option too for them to see what they decide to do there. Diamondbacks, while they have a very good starting team, I don't love their depth behind their starters. And you, you you cannot put Jake Lamb in the outfield. That's not a possibility. No. That guy is just limited to DH or almost nothing left. So it feels like Arizona doesn't have great backup outfield options at this point. Tim Locastro is another name that they have, but he's not a sexy name either. No, I mean, look, you've got some other names here, like Alec Thomas, who I don't think they're ready to push yet. But maybe if they say to him, hey, you know what? Let's see what you can do for two weeks to kind of bridge the gap. That's not impossible. It's not impossible to go down there into Christian Robinson or to Alec Thomas and say, hey, can you get us two weeks here before we get Calhoun back? I mean, the stranger things have happened. I mean, there's also going to – it's difficult because not a lot of teams are jettisoning players. We saw Dozier uh, get jettisoned, but I feel like so many teams are basically holding on to everybody and keeping them in these 60-man rosters, these camps. So what would normally be available out there for you to, like, pluck off a, you know, a veteran who is just a, basically a roster casualty – all of a sudden, you can't do that anymore. All of a sudden, that becomes very difficult to do in this current state because basically everyone's hoarding players. Um, I think moving Cattell Marte to the outfield maybe is the best sense there. Uh, the problem is then if you're opening every day, you know, at bats up for Jake Lamb in maybe at the third base position, you're moving Escobar. To, can he play second? I don't. Like, I don't know where you're at in this shuffle of guys. I feel like that's probably a more likely scenario. But then you got to look at Jake Lamb and the fact that I mean, the God, the splits on Jake Lamb have not improved. I wish they would have. I understand it was tempting back in the day. He had that power. He had a couple decent seasons. But when you look back, it's like, oh, my God, the guy just does not hit left-handed pitching. It's just terrible. You can't you can't do it. You can't have this guy out there every day. And it's just uh, unfortunate at this point. And then I feel like the Diamondbacks are kind of in a difficult spot. Uh, hopefully they can bridge the gap. I think it would be smart to bring in one of these kids. Maybe you get a cup you know, two good weeks out of them. Maybe they can give you, you know, 25 at-bats, 30 at-bats and and do something for you because you need Cole Calhoun in this lineup. You need to continue to make some depth in this lineup, I think, because at the end of the day, the Diamondbacks last year played above their head a little bit. So now in 2020, if you're expecting any kind of regression, you're going to need Cole Calhoun to show up. You're going to need some of these other dudes in here to step up who you acquired in the offseason and kind of fill in the gaps if there is some guys like Christian Walker who plays you know, down a little bit from last year or Escobar or even Marte, who I'm not as worried about. But look, you know, it's nine guys in the lineup. It's not four. So you got to find some length in this lineup, too. How do you think they're going to bridge it? You think it's going to be Rojas? I mean, look, the the prospect idea is not terrible. I mean, that that's a possibility. Uh, look, uh, you know, Rojas and Lo Castro could split True. until Calhoun comes back. But uh, it's really interesting because even yesterday on the Marlins conference call, you know, Don Mattingly said you know, when we, we you, he won't talk about Matt Joyce not being there, but he's not. And and I asked him the question, well, look, you know, in the offseason, you tried to add as, as many left-handed bats as you possibly can because you didn't have any. And you added Dickerson mm -hmm. and VR. And then you added Matt Joyce. And Matt Joyce is like the extra guy, the guy that could come off the bench, the guy that could play two, three days right. a week. And now he's not there. So what is the plan? And he flat out said there's a chance that Lewin Diaz or Jesus Sanchez, two of their top five prospects, are on the opening day roster. And I think that the reason why this is going to happen for some teams is that they feel like they have a chance to win, and it's 60 games, and if you don't go for it now, you never will. And so, Arizona does. Well, let's be honest. Arizona, Arizona has a real shot at the playoffs. Arizona anything can happen in this playoff format. So if you got to push some of these kids, again, you don't want to get 60 games out of these guys, but can you get 15? No, no, and it's not the Orioles or Pirates or Rockies where you know no. it's, it just you don't you're not going to do that with the, right. and the Giants. You're not going to call those guys up at the beginning like Joey Bart already. We already know he's not going to be there. No. All right. Uh, will Yoenis Cespedes be the DH for the Mets? Tim Healy will tell us next. Don't go away. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today as the Major League Baseball season gets ready to open up uh, next week. We are going to check in with the latest from the New York Mets. Tim Healy covers them for Newsday.com, and he joins us now here on the show to break everything down. What's going on, Tim? Good to see you again. Good to see you. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Uh, Well, you know, before we get to the baseball end of it, it's just so interesting to me to see uh, how finally, after all of these years, and and I know that many people are Mets fans out there, and they're kind of wondering the state of their baseball team, but it, sure. it seems as though they're the one team and the next team that potentially is going to be sold. And that seems to be changing every single day. And it, and the latest reports that I saw, Tim, uh, were like a bunch of celebrities getting together essentially to buy the Mets. So, I mean, it's kind of wild. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very reminiscent, honestly, of the Marlin sale process in 2017 with the Mets right now. The favorite has got to be Steve Cohen, who is a, $13 billion uh, yeah. Wall Street hedge fund manager type of guy. He's from Long Island, grew up a Mets fan, is already a minority owner. So he's he's the favorite in the clubhouse. Uh, nobody really can outbid him in terms of financial might. But the other big player in this seems to be a group of investors led by Alex Rodriguez and Jennifer Lopez. They have a, a whole bunch of investors. Uh, so much so that the names of all these investors are not even out there uh, publicly. Um, but consider me skeptical of that group's ability to pull this off going up against a guy like Steve Cohen, who, like I said, is worth an estimated $13 billion and can basically bid however much he wants, no matter how much money A-Rod can scrounge up. Right, and that seems to be the case. Uh, money in the end is going to speak, and there's a del- uh, difference between celebrity money and being wealthy. You know, that's that's the right. key. Um, all right. So, you know, over to the Mets here for a minute. I, I think the most polarizing story, I think, for all of us, as you have been following and, and checking in on City Field, like I have at Marlins Park, honestly, has been the return of Yoannis Cespedes and yeah. potentially what we may or may not see from him. Um, you know, look, he hasn't played in a couple of years and there were some wild circumstances as to of him being out the last couple. And Tim, I mean, the funny thing is, is that he may be the biggest beneficiary of not playing for four months because I don't know that the Mets had any plans for him whatsoever until they saw him work out right now. And he, I guess you'd have to tell me, does he really look good? I mean, is this legit? Can he play 30 games during the 60 game stretch? He does. It looks much better than he did in spring training, which you know you would expect for a guy coming off a broken ankle with that extra four months. Uh, hitting wise, he's there. Running wise, he's getting better. He's actually looking not that bad during base running drills, home to first, home home to second the other day. Uh, but defensively, that's the big question mark. He has not worked out in left field very much. Um, and he, uh, between left field being a question mark and his overall physical shape, his workload tolerance, that's a big question mark, too. And that's something the Mets aren't going to be able to figure out, really, until he starts playing. Uh, I've been of the mindset this entire time that I'll believe that Yoenis Cespedes can be a productive major league hitter when I see it, because it's been... You know, next week marks two months since the last time he played in a major league game, uh, and he's had three surgeries since then. So it's it's been quite the quite the journey for Cespedes. Um, so he, he's looked good. He's impressed in camp, but there's a difference between impressing in camp and being a, a worthwhile major league player again. Yeah, there's no doubt. Um, you know, was a big time ball player once upon a time, winning home run derbies and. You know, actually won the home run derby at City Field, the one that I was at, too. So uh, we'll see if he ends up coming back for the Mets. Um, all right. Now, uh, you know, over to the pitching for a minute here. And we're looking at a, a graphic right now, Tim, showing their starting rotation for 2020, or at least a projected starting ro- rotation with the Grom at the top. And I've got Stroman, 
followed by Porcello, Mats, and Waka as the starting five. Uh, Syndergaard is out for the year, as everybody knows. Tim, it, it, maybe I'm wrong with Mats. Maybe he is the five, but I just kind of threw a lefty in there to to break things up. I'm not sure how the Mets have it planned, but uh, does that sound uh, more or less accurate to you when we're looking at this? The Grom, Stroman, Porcello, uh, Mats, and uh, Waka rounding out the top five. Yeah, I tend to not to get caught up in the order of the five starters, but if it were up to me and just going off of where those pitchers are at in their careers, I would go to Grom, Stroman, followed by Mats, and then Porcello, Waka. Porcello has been terrible for multiple years now. Mats has been much better than him, and Mats has been healthy the past couple of years, making 30 starts each of the past couple after overcoming, you know, pretty regular injury issues earlier in his career. Uh, and then Walk is the biggest wild card probably of that bunch. He also hasn't been effective and healthy for a full season in quite some time. Uh, so those are the five guys in whatever order they get rolled out. And you mentioned it, no, not having Noah Syndergaard is brutal for that group. For so long, the Mets calling card has been their rotation. And now all of a sudden, it's not. You know, they have the Grom, back-to-back Cy Young, maybe the best pitcher in the world right now. Uh, and then after that, you know, you hope Stroman takes a step forward. You hope Matt takes a step forward. You hope Rick Porcello doesn't have a five-and-a-half ERA. And then you hope Waka can make 12 starts or whatever he's going to be asked of. So there are definitely some question marks there this year, unlike the past few years for the Mets. And and uh, over to the bullpen, uh, let's go. And now we're looking at uh, the two possibilities, I think, for the back end of the bullpen. As you can see here, Edwin Diaz, last season, 5.59 run average, 26 saves. Uh, Dylan Batances, who came over from the Yankees, I think there are high expectations, Tim, based on his career with, with the Yankees, but he really you know missed all of last year. Career 14.6 strikeouts per nine. Uh, Familia is still there. I, I think the bullpen for the Mets, uh, Tim, seems to be a strength. But if you're betting on saves for the ninth inning, is it simply put Diaz's job again to lose? Or do you think Batances could get chances? Do you think Familia could get chances? If you listen to the Mets right now, it sounds like any of those guys and Seth Lugo can get chances. Realistically, it's probably going to be Edwin Diaz at least to start. He was he had a rough time last year, obviously, uh, but he was such a high caliber or high profile addition coming over with Robinson Cano in Brody Van Wagenen's first move that to take him out of the closer role after one season would just be kind of a disaster for the Mets, and they don't really usually own their disasters in that way. <laughs> um, so it, to me, the bullpen with those four guys, plus guys like, uh, you know, Justin Wilson um, and a couple of others who actually haven't been in camp yet, Brad Brack and Jared Hughes. But the bullpen, to me, is a microcosm of the Mets as a whole. It could be dominant, right? If Edwin Diaz bounces back, if Dellen Batantis is healthy and in, in his old self, if Seth Lugo just maintains where he's been for two years, and if Jerry Familia looks anything close to his old self, um, then that is a dominant back end, right? Probably among the best in baseball, if all of those question marks turn into exclamation points. But also, they're question marks right now. Everybody except Seth Lugo. So it could be a disaster. Um, you know, so it is representative of the Mets as a whole, the way I see it. Um, and, uh, you know, with any luck here, we'll be able to see how it plays out. All right, let's end with this. Tim Healy with us. Uh, how has it been like for you covering baseball uh, at City? At, uh, City? It's, it's been, you know, strange for me, Tim, with the Marlins. I actually went the first day, and I've been covering it from home since. It's, it just yeah. was, I, you know, I, I, I went to spring training. I feel like I saw spring training already once, and I feel like I'm seeing it again now, and there's no competition. And, um, you know, I, I feel safe covering the games. I do, but it's, it's, it's just... The whole thing felt like so super awkward to me. I'll go to the games when they begin, but I, I haven't been to many of the practices. I'm sort of watching from from uh, from a distance, but I'm sure that you're there a lot more, it seems. Yeah, I've been at City Field for all the Mets workouts so far. Our camp, camp, start, our camp, camp. It is sort of awkward. Uh, 
My job as a beat writer is much more difficult because we are confined to the press box and we are not allowed to talk to players or other team personnel in person. We cannot go down near the field, unlike spring training, when we can get right up close. Um, So it's harder to do the job. Uh, So, you know, I, I don't want to get used to it because I do expect things to go back to how they were once the vaccine or once the world gets back to normal or, you know, whenever, whenever that happens. Um, but it's different there. You know, you get your temperature checked before you get into the ballpark. You yeah. uh, have to answer a four question health questionnaire about if you've had any symptoms or if anybody you've had contact with has any, had any symptoms or my favorite one, if anybody that you've had contact with, has had any contact with right that system. So they're, they're sort of casting a wide net there. Um, I'm a little skeptical that the season will actually be played to completion. Um, so just kind of taking it as it comes, it's a bizarre world in so many ways this year. And baseball and covering baseball is absolutely among them. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, Tim, uh, again, thanks for coming on. Stay safe. And we really appreciate it here uh, on Fantasy Sports today. Thanks again. Happy to. Thank you guys for having me. All right. That's Tim Healy from Newsday joining us here on Fantasy Sports today. You know, the Mets are a really interesting proposition for 2020 because I think like all teams right now are showing and saying, by the way, the same things is that we're here on July 23rd, 24th, which is where we'll be next week. And everybody is fighting for first place. And the Mets are in a very similar situation to a lot of teams that are still trying to get back on top. It's been a long time for the Mets, you know? And so I think that that's one team certainly like Philadelphia in their own division that will fight to the end. And then meanwhile, you have the World Series champion Nationals and you have the Braves and the Marlins are coming up too. So uh, Mets will be very curious for me. I know we didn't touch on a lot of the offensive uh, guys for the Mets, but uh, lucky for them, they're pretty much set with their offensive lineup. But could you imagine if Yoenis Cespedes was just to hit like 10 home runs this year? This was one of the most dominant players in the game. And the Mets have gone from a team where we could talk literally about 25 other guys. And most of the time coming out of them at City Field right now has been all discussion about Cespedes becoming the new designated hitter for the Mets this year. That's not something that I thought that I would say. All right, we have uh, plenty more to come here on the show. In fact, we're going to take a look at the win totals for the Tampa Bay Rays and Texas Rangers coming up in just a few minutes. Also, some fantasy football conversation as well. You're watching and listening to Fantasy Sports Today right here on SportsGrid. Joe Pizzapia will join us again next as we continue on here on this Tuesday. So don't go away. More FST right after this. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. 